Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the New European Podcast. My name is Richard Porritt and I'm joined in his podcast bunker by Steve Anglesey. Hello, it's my self-isolating snowflakes. And how, how is? Are we? Uh, well, I, I, I hope everyone is fine. I'm fine. Uh, how is your bunker? How's bunker life? Uh, I am fine. I'm hoping to emerge from the bunker at some point. It doesn't look like it's going to be any point soon, though, does it? I think there's kind anyway. of self. There's a, there's a kind of false hope doing the rounds a little bit at the moment, isn't there? But I mean, we can get into that um, now. Just at the top of the show, I do like to remind people that I know a lot of you traditionally have come here and here only for your news. As I've said before, just to reiterate, probably worth checking in with the New European um, online and in print uh, just to during the week, just to keep up with things because it's fast moving. Um, and pro- perhaps even tune into the daily briefing because you could be still self-isolating, waiting for the podcast, and we've all been down the boozer for a week. So just, you know, just for your own good, check in somewhere else with your news as well, not just here. And then when this is all over, you can forget all of that and just come to us. We will, of course, get to the news. Then we will crown a Brexiteer of the Week, as we always do. Um, Steve, how's your week been? Uh, it's been uh, oh, it's been quite similar to last week, actually, and the, and the week before. <laughs> kind um, of blurring into one. I've done they? a bit of. Uh, I've not. I've not. Um, I've not fathered any children, unlike the Prime Minister. Not that you're aware um, of. <laughs> no, I'm aware of. Um, and um, I've, I've just I've, I've been doing the, the, the usual lockdown stuff. A lot of cooking. Good. A lot of a lot of reading. I've been listening to a lot of music. Good. Um, I found out some amazing things. Do you want me to tell you what amazing things I've found? Out? Yes, I do. I've been reading. Well, you, you only get this kind of stuff if you if you read the Daily Express. <laughs> but I discovered by reading the Daily Express. Um, well, this this was billed as an exclusive, and it is an, also anonymous. Right. And it is that Keir Starmer's hair is like that. He's got that hair haircut yeah. because he likes the Smiths. In oh. an exclusive, I'm read, I'm read, I'm quoting now. In an exclusive interview with Express.co.uk, a senior barrister who wishes to <laughs> remain anonymous exposed the Labour leader's obsession oh, with the exposed. <laughs> exposed, exposed. Yeah, recalling their time together at university. The senior barrister said, 
Keir was one of those guys who is driven, <clears throat> but not the most popular or charismatic. He loved the Smiths. That's why his hair has always been the same. Well, he has it was got, shaved on the side yeah. even 30 years ago. Well, he has got extraordinary hair. And if he likes the Smiths, he's also got extraordinary taste in music. I can imagine him sort of sort of wheeling around on the dance floor as if he's got an imaginary, you know, like Morrissey used to with his whipping his uh, microphone um, wire. I can imagine imagine him doing it. I'm doing it now. That's the only way I dance. So me, me and Kia, that's something else we could bond over. So you remember when uh, Johnny Marr, guitarist of the Smiths, of course, banned uh, David Cameron from being a fan of the Smiths. You remember that? That's right. He said you're not allowed to like us. Didn't Do he? you think? I think he's. I think he's now banned Morrissey from being a fan of the Smiths as well, <laughs> well for similar reasons. Well, if he hasn't, he certainly should do. But um, do you think he would do similar to Kia, or do you think Kia's all right still to be able to like the Smiths as it stands? Well, I think Kia's fine, and I would, I would like to, um, I would like to see Kia doing PMQs with a fake hearing aid on and... Um, bloody O-line in his back pocket. Bloody O-line in his back pocket. The, the sort of that, that sort of threadbare cardigan. That'd be fantastic. And then um, and, um, the, the sort of the fake national health glasses. And if he made a really good point against Dominic Raab, then maybe he could sort of just... Well, he, Morrissey likes to whip it all off altogether, doesn't he? He does, he, yeah. He, yeah, he, he finishes sort of with ends a... up be- he finishes bare-chested, doesn't That's he? Right. So I've, maybe... been, I've been in many a scrum at a, uh, a Morrissey gig trying to get a piece of his shirt before. Never oh. never managed it, but a um, good oh, friend well, of mine did. Uh, Imagine that. Yeah, my pal used to take scissors in um, and then get, <laughs> honestly, and get, and lots of people would, because obviously you'd end up with like 20 people all trying to grab the same shirt, and then he would just get a little bit and try and cut the edge off the shirt, and he did manage it one time. Imagine taking oh, scissors dear. to a gig. Uh, yeah, and, and there's some great comebacks he could use. You know, after after Boris has he's been up against Boris in PMQs, he could do the old uh, big mouth strikes again. He could do. Yeah, um, I'm sure. How soon is now? Could be a could be a comeback at some stage. Um, he could do. Yeah, I mean, there's, he could there's plenty. Say, uh, he could say, "Ask me what I'm." What uh, what I, I'm going to do when I'm prime minister? Ask me. Ask me. Ask me. Yeah, um, yeah, he could Re- reel um, around the mace. But I think if he says, "I want to ask a question about a Bengalian platform <laughs> that I've encountered, who's who's sent in this letter," if he did to Jeremy Corbyn and said that, then I think we would know that Keir Starmer was going down a dark path. <laughs> You're going to the national, to the national front disco. Yeah, I mean, don't do that, Keir. That would be awful. Stick to the Smiths rather than to Morrissey's uh, solo yes, work. Yes, indeed. Oh, there is some indeed. fine work. There is some fine work. There. Um, but there you go. He's obsessed with the Smiths, and, um, and the, that was an, a, that was a senior barrister who wishes to remain anonymous. Yeah. In an exclusive interview. Fantastic. Well, I mean, I, I, as I've mentioned, I'm a, I have been for many years a huge fan of the Smiths, so I'm delighted that Keir shows well, my... Well, you're a huge fan of Keir Starmer. So that's I am good. a huge fan of Keir Starmer, and I was um, thinking, after reading this myself, I was thinking that I don't think anyone really wants to see... No, no proper Smiths fans want to see the Smiths reunited. They never have, because it would, it would, it would be a, 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 a very... You know, a, a terrible shadow of what they actually achieved in the eighties. Whether you like Morrissey or not, they were a great band, and 
it would be ludicrous if these old men now ruined that great memory. So, but what I was thinking was, you could have Kia Starmer Smiths. Don't worry about Morrissey. It's ne- Morrissey oh, was never yeah. going to come. Get Kia to front the band. Everyone loves Johnny Marr. You know, Andy Rock and, and Mick Joyce could come back. They probably need need the money. And we could have Kia fronting up the, the band. I mean, I'd, I would pay to see that. That would be great, wouldn't it? That would be fantastic. So what have you been watching on the telly? People like a little update on your TV habits, I think. Uh, I te- well, I'll tell you what I... The thing that I've finished is Devs. Right, I've got an issue um, with this show. Which, what's your issue with it? Well, I've watched two episodes now, and I think I'm going to give up, because it's a, it's exactly the sort of thing I like. Um, that sort of clever, thoughtful, sort of sci-fi stuff, I like that kind of thing. But it's got, yeah. it feels like <laughs> the Christmas special of Doctor Who or something. It, it just doesn't feel like it's been finished properly. And... It's, it's it's problematic, and I, I stopped after two episodes, and then after three or four days of boredom, I went back to it, and then well, I was maybe I'll give it another engrossed go. in it. But I also it's think worth giving another go. Is it? I also I, This is the thing I've got um, with BBC dramas, where the actors seem to tell us what they're doing the whole time. Like, there's one bit where she's going to go, I'm going to hack his phone now, and it's like, you don't... Yeah, I think yeah, yeah, probably, yeah. You know, it's like the, it's like the, the, the directors from CBeebies... Um, do their time on kids TV and then and then you know migrate to more grown up stuff and still keep applying the same rules as they do for six year olds for adults. I, I just don't think it's. I'm sorry, but I think I think it's well written. I think it's a great idea that's not quite, and that annoys me more than if it had been rubbish. I think. Uh, yeah, I think. I mean, there are some. The, the thing that I struggled with early on is that uh, Nick Offerman, who um, people will be familiar with from. Parts and Recreation plays a sort of a, you know, Steve Jobs type. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's he's more of he's, he's he's more of a sort of techie than Steve Jobs was. Yeah, 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 but, yeah. but he's he is a guru. Um, I think there are. I mean, the most recent sort of gurus that I can remember portrayals of gurus in sort of web giant techie gurus that I can remember on film are, um, oh, what's it called? Um, um, Tom Hanks in a thing called The Circle, right? Um, which is a which is a, a, a very poor thriller about a sort of Facebooky type oh, company yeah, 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 yeah. who want to invade everybody's privacy. It's got Hermione from Harry Potter in it, who is awful um, as she is in everything. Yeah. Um, and the other one was Simon Pegg in the, in Ready Player One, um, right, which yeah. is is a I don't know if you've seen it. Is a a very Bad film, which Simon Pegg, who I normally like very much, is, is very bad in. Um, and, you know, I don't believe any of these guys um, are as sort of tech gurus. And I've, I've got, you know, Nick Offerman, um, I, I, I didn't believe. I'd, I'd warm to Nick Offerman, and I really like Sonoya Mizuno, who's the, the, the main character. And the, the story becomes more and more engaging. Alison Pill. Um, is also very good in it, um, and the music is great. Oh, the, the music is music. good. The music is the very good. The choice of music is, is, is beautiful. You've I got, agree. You know, you've got some free. You've got some John Martin. The, the incidental music. The which incidental think, music it really stands out. There's a, there's a, which, a scene in the first episode, I think, where she's going to meet a Russian spy or something, and it shows yeah. some sort of you know. 
um, sort of bleak landscapes, and it just goes bang, and you're like, whoa! It really makes you stand up. That that's really that is top draw. I agree completely. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think Jeff Jeff Barrow from Portishead and Beak is involved in the music. Right. The I was going to say the the, the the one thing where I've been convinced and gone, this bloke is a is a convincing tech guru, techie that person is it was Ex Machina, which was also written by Alex Garland, yeah. who wrote and directed this. It was directed by Alex Garland as well, and it's got that similar creepy feeling to Ex Machina. It's not quite as good as Ex Machina, but you you should no, stay with it. Things, things happen. Things happen from the third episode on, which make it. Um, worth sticking with, and it is quite pacing. Okay, um, all right. So, I'll, so give it, I'll give it that. another go. I'll give it another go. I'll tell you what I've started reading, which is sensational, is is um, Broken by Don Winslow, which okay. is... Don Winslow's a, a, a crime writer. He's probably best known for writing a trilogy of books about um, uh, stuff that happens at the Mexican border, uh, and one of the, I think the border is the first one of those. Um, but I've been a, a fan of Don Winslow for a lot of years, and Broken, which is is sort of six stories, since in, six interlocking stories, um, and starts with a uh, story about a cop in, in New Orleans, is, is so far really fantastic. What well, have you I, been doing? Uh, well, I I um, I watched the NFL draft. Yes, me too. Which was I I enjoyed it actually. It was good. I thought it was good. I, I was. Well, we I wasn't expecting sport more in a bit. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't I, expecting I it to be it. much fun, but I thought it was good. I was certainly pleased with our first round pick. Were you pleased with your with your picks? I was very pleased with the yeah, draft. I think a lot which, of people. Which, which, um, the, the 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 draft picks seemed to fall in the right place for a lot of people. There were no trades until like until the Niners. I think it was about twelve or thirteen. So anyway, I know this is, this is not an NFL podcast. So we're maybe not going no, to the, going to the ins and outs of the NFL draft. But I enjoyed that, and then. I've been watching more American sport. I've been watching uh, Last Dance, which is this extraordinary um, a documentary about the final season of this this incredible Chicago Bulls team, basketball team in the late nineties, and, uh, and it goes back in time and some incredible footage, sort of behind the scenes stuff that's never been released until now. And just watching Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and. Um, Dennis Rodman and these incredible players in full flow, you know, and then they, they sort of slow it down. It looks beautiful. Um, it almost looks like an NFL films production, which is sort of famous in, in sporting documentaries for how beautiful they make the sport look. Uh, absolutely fascinating. And, and uh, I'm watching it with someone who's not a big sports fan at all, who is absolutely enthralled by it as well. So you don't need to be a big sports fan or, you know, know the rules of basketball or anything like that. It's just a, it's an excellent... Um, uh, the story about human beings, really, uh, re- really fascinating. And uh, what my, I'm still reading my um, Philadelphia Eagles book, which again I don't want to go oh, yeah. any more into NFL, probably. But we, we've certainly um, not have as, bi- as big a week as Boris Johnson, of course. No, we haven't. I was going to say, by the way, on one last thing on what we've been listening to before we talk about Boris Johnson and his baby, is that um, a band um, who, well, I, I, I vaguely. Um, knew uh, a member of them in a long time ago when I lived in Manchester, but there's a band called A Certain Ratio who some people will be familiar with. They were on factory records, sort of, they were contemporaries of Joy Division and New Order, and um, so they're sort of 80s band, and they have got a song, and I noticed this because I've been listening to a lot of uh, Spotify as you do, and sort of going down, 
you know, rabbit holes of recommendations and everything. And anyway, um, Lucinda has popped up quite a lot by a certain ratio. And I saw this week that Lucinda has now hit a million streams on Spotify. It's been played a million times Just on by Spotify. you. <laughs> and do you know how much money a certain ratio receive? will receive from one million streams on Spotify. Oh, I, well, I'm aware that it's not as much as you might think. It's between 4000 and £6,500. There you go. That to, that, to me, is, I mean, that is incredible, isn't it? It's rather extraordinary. I mean, just to to perhaps whet the appetite of, of the listener, they're going to hear an exclusive first play of a song later on, in well, this podcast, which, this is why I mentioned this. I mean, it is a bit of a music special, isn't it? It is rather, and and, and this this particular song, I'm, I'm afraid I don't think we've got time to do the to do the full version. So the full justice of this well masterpiece, frankly, um, won't be won't be available. But but I mean, we're talking about a million listens. I imagine as, as soon as it goes on Spotify, you know, it it will. It, I, I expect to be getting more than six grand. Let's put it that way. You know. Yeah. I would do. I would do. I've 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 had a sneak preview. Um, Boris Johnson, then. Yeah, Boris. Uh, we record at the time that we're recording this. We don't know what his baby's called. Well, what don't. do you think it should be called? Um, well, uh, this is the thing. It's it's. I think it's going to have a trendy name because obviously he's his um, COVID. His view. <laughs> PPE Johnson. His um his baby uh he, he, sorry his his fiance Carrie of course is much younger than him so I'm I'm thinking oh yeah it's unlikely to be a William or a um uh you know I I think it's gonna it's gonna have a more a more contemporary name I think she's gonna be pushing him for a trendy name she's also a, a big environmentalist isn't she yes so she is yeah I wonder if you know Thunberg Johnson. What was that? Thunberg. Oh, yeah, that would be good. That would be really good, wouldn't it? <laughs> that would be great, wouldn't it? What, what do you reckon? Um, well, I mean, what about... He is quite egotistical, isn't he? So I, mean, I don't think he can do Boris Jr., but that would he be could brilliant. do Horace Johnson. Horace. Morris, Morris Johnson. <laughs> Morris, well, Morris Johnson, wasn't he a centre-forward for he Rangers? Played, he played for Rangers, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Piffle Johnson, Whiffwaff Johnson, Whiffwaff, Cummings Johnson, Cummings Johnson, that'd be good. That'd be uh, good. What about Hasus? Hasus Johnson. Oh, that yeah. JJ, that'd be good. <laughs> JJ, yeah. Uh, so yeah. Well, um, well, congratulations to Boris and Carrie. I know Carrie's a big listener, um, so congratulations. To the pair yeah. of you, we're we're glad that we're, you know we may not agree with you on many things, but we are very happy that um, that uh, the latest uh, instalment of the Boris Johnson clown is 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 with us safely amid this incredible period of time. It must, uh, you know it's tough for everyone, so congratulations. It, yes, very much so. Um, and um, I don't, I, I can't remember who wrote this article, but I was reading something in the Telegraph earlier on, um, on this, we recorded this on, on Thursday, obviously, and you're listening to it on Friday. Um, I was reading the article earlier on, and it was written by a woman, and it said, um, it, it said, uh, hey, Carrie, 
uh, let Boris off the night feeds. He's got a really important job to do. All right. Mm. Have, have you had a baby? <laughs> It's, it's, quite, it's quite difficult for the woman involved as well, you know. It is. <laughs> Let him off the night feeds. Why? There is nothing. You know. There is nothing harder, literally nothing harder than having a small baby in the house. Um, in the house. In. <laughs> what do you mean? I would. I would say getting the small baby out of you and into the house is quite hard too. Oh yeah, but they get drugs. I'm joking. Before okay. Twitter erupts, before Twitter erupts, of course it's it's very tricky for for the yeah. uh, for the for the mother. Very, very, very tricky. Um, he's not, of course, he's not taking his paternity leave, is he? Sorry, what was that? He's not taking his paternity leave because he's he's not uh, taking his paternity leave until later in the year. Yeah, yeah. When so, he's allowed to when, when he's allowed to go out when, and meet people. Yeah, when <laughs> when when Boris Junior can you know drive and live somewhere else. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I, I have to. T- I'll tell you a little story. When I, in 2010, um, my my son Kit was born uh, in the March, and I went back. Which, who you named after the car in Night Rider? That's right, Double T. No, it's not Double T. Um, no, he's he, no, he's named after Christopher Marlowe actually. Um, but he uh, he was born in the March, and uh, I went back to work um, on the first day. On the day that the election was was called, we knew it was going to be called, and I, oh, yeah. I went back to work, and uh, and I was so desperate to get out of the house, so desperate to get back to work. Um, I love my job, and not that big a fan of screaming babies. And there was also a toddler in the house as well, um, my daughter. And I, I I didn't start working till two, but I left the house at about eleven. <laughs> Just as we go, I walked out the front door. I got my suit on. I looked a million dollars. And I just give this big breath. Oh, finally I can get back to work and this baby won't be crying in my ear. And this bird did a massive poo right down the front of me. It was on my face, it was down my front. And I, I think now that obviously my behaviour was pretty bad rushing out of the house and I kind of probably deserved to be to be pooed on from a great height. So there you go. Be, be yeah, nice I mean, it, to your it, other half, Boris. It does change you having a baby, and I don't know whether you've seen this. It makes you want to stay at tweet, work longer. But, <laughs> well, yeah. but but Robert Peston tweeted: "Having babies changes us. Near-death experiences change us. Boris Johnson has the full set. So will he become a very different PM from the one the UK voted for in December? Well, I mean, it must be said that." His first few babies haven't really changed him, but anyway, yeah, he, that's what I was going to say. Let's give, him, let's give him the near-death experience. But what what do you what do you make of that? I think, I mean, I, I can't see it changing him hugely because I think um, it's difficult to know what, exactly what Boris's politics are. I mean, obviously he's a, an individualist. I think he's a he's a libertarian. But on top of that, if everyone cries, you know, if it, it, as we saw in the in the referendum, he realised that the NHS can win him votes. So he'll use that as well, you know. Uh, so I, I, I think that he is. In the last five years, what we've seen from Boris is that actually more than any anything else with regards to what colour Rossetti wears, he's a populist. Um, so if if I think coming out of this, what he will do is pour cash into the NHS and say they were brilliant, they saved us, we're going to be there for them now. You know, he's going to be canny like that. So I don't, I don't think it's going to change him hugely. I was, I was. Pleased to see after after he was in hospital that he mentioned 
nurses from other countries and all that kind of thing, and it was in his official statement, and that I thought that was an, a nice touch. And I would hope that perhaps if it does change him at all, it is um, a, a relaxation of of the um, you know of the wall that appeared to be going up, not the actual wall <laughs> like Donald Trump, but um, a, a metaphoric wall that was going up around Great Britain. Perhaps we can actually have a softer Brexit when we realise that we are not, you know, no man or indeed Ireland is an island. Um, but I wouldn't bang my house on it, Steve. Would you? No, I mean we can talk. Um, we can talk about the um, well, the trade talks or the non-trade talks yeah. with the EU um, later on. Um, I mean, I, I agree. I think he's he's got a he he's now got um, he's now got the the um, hand to. Well, I mean, he's the prime minister. He's got the hand to do whatever he wants. But I think he's got the the will of. The, the Tory party is probably to um, is probably to pump a lot more money into the NHS and to ease uh, Pretty Patel's yeah. immigration scheme yeah. slightly, which we we did talk about on the podcast uh, last week. Um, I, I just don't, as you say, though, I don't really know that Boris Johnson knows what he stands for, and I no. think that this, you know, this period or the period after we negotiate a trade deal with the EU or, or, or most likely we don't negotiate. So the, 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 the last four years of his this administration of his were all going to be about, you know, trying to position Britain as a, you know, a low, low tax and, um, uh, you know, low skilled place where people could come and, um, uh, you know, uh, and, and Britain would would be a sort of a you know a, a, a low tax island where businesses could come, yeah. um, and there would be you know very little state intervention and uh, and all of that. Singapore um, in Europe, as, as people said, and I think that's just been completely derailed now. So absolutely, um, I mean. W- w- <laughs> This this is certainly not going to be a low tax country because we're going to be after we're going to be paying for for the um you know for the bailout packages and the and the help and everything for a very long time so that is that is gone I think the only the only slight upside on that is that's going to be the case for everyone you know we're not we're not in this on our own are we so the whole world is um is facing similar problems I mean that's right it's at what stage sorry go on. No, I, I mean, I, I think that I think that plan has somewhat been derailed. And it, I mean, I remember I took some flack eighteen months, two years ago on this podcast for saying, "Well, he, I would almost prefer it if the government came out and said, yeah, we like the Singapore model. We are going to deregulate. We are going to be low tax. We are going to try and attract business in that way because it would seem like that was a plan." I remember Tony mm. Blair at the same time said something similar. You know, at least that at least that is a plan that would probably work. I don't back it, but at least it's a plan that will probably work rather than this terrible Theresa May sort of fudge nonsense that was going on. Um, but I, that isn't that just can't happen now. It just can't happen. No, I can't. I, I cannot see that. Uh, I cannot see that happening. I'm interested to to know what you think. When when will the government sort of submit to a an, an inquiry into how this has been handled? Yeah, I mean, I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna have to do that. We, you know, we we would expect nothing less from such a major issue. I, I mean, I would imagine. I, I would be surprised if it's if it's 
well, perhaps by the end of the year, I'm not sure, but it's certainly months and months away. Um, but it certainly needs to be done. I mean, there's been a lot of... Yeah. You will have seen that viral nonsense on, on Twitter and probably elsewhere this week about saying, oh, the media have got the tone of it all wrong and we should be getting behind the government and we can ask these questions after it's over. And, I mean, that's just lunacy. There are things that the media can shine a light on now and change for the better. So why on earth would we sit on our hands and wait until it's done and potentially see people dying um, because we we weren't banging on about PPE, we weren't banging on about testing? You know, we, we the media would be culpable then when it comes back. The, the media is not there to support a government in wartime, in pandemics, uh, in pandemics, or at any other time. They're there to question them and to try and get the best for their readers, the general public. Um, so this, you know, and there's been quite a lot of Tory MPs saying similar on social media, just not understanding at all the job, the vital job of the media. Um, and, you know, so it's important that an ongoing process of questioning and criticising um, and, and critiquing, maybe, it, 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 you know, happens. It can't just all wait till the end. At the end, there should also be an inquiry. Um, you know, yeah. when, because because there are questions that really, really important questions that need to be asked. Um, and you know, I take a Keir Starmer view on this that if the government does something right, and I think they have done some things right on this. You know, the, um, the there was a lot of uh, discussion about whether we would run out of beds. There was a lot of discussion about of, of intensive care beds. There was a lot of discussion about whether there would be enough ventilators. Well, as it stands, the government, the things that the government have put in place, have made sure that that hasn't been an issue. However, so I support that. Well done, congratulations, you've done your job and you've done it well. Um, you know, th- some of the bailout, you know, the furloughing stuff, that is saving people's jobs and saving people's businesses. However, you know, it comes back to these tests. It comes back to the tests and it comes back to the fact that in January, instead of bulk buying um, protective equipment and getting it there just in case, because it would have been used anyway, wouldn't it? So it's not like it would have gone to waste. If they, they needed to get their asses in gear back then, instead of doing that, they were playing politics within their own party and reshuffling and doing all that kind of thing, patting themselves on the back and saying how great they were still from the general election when they should have been um, planning for the worst-case scenario. Because when the worst-case scenario happened, I'm afraid um, we, we weren't ready. We weren't ready. Um, and that and that is something that is going to um, and, and quite rightly will hang heavy on this government. It has to. Um, I know we said the same last week, but there have been elements, very important elements, that have been mishandled, and uh, and we we need to be all over them for that. At the same time, like I said before, there has been some stuff which I'm hugely supportive of. Well done. Um, what I would say is an overriding thing is I really don't think that any government of any colour that I can think of. Um, whether it be Tony Blair's or a fantasy Jeremy Corbyn one or David Cameron's, Theresa May's, Gordon Brown's, John Major's, even Thatcher's, any of those governments I can't see would have handled, would have got everything absolutely right. Um, So I think we've got to bear that in mind because there's so many moving parts in this. There's so many things that could potentially go wrong, so many issues that might throw something off that are potentially a little bit out of your control. And hindsight is a wonderful thing. But um, to ignore it and wait for an inquiry before we critique it is hugely dangerous. And the pressure has got to to carry on. And thank goodness now we've got members of the public asking questions in, uh, in the daily briefing. That's working really well. What do you think, Steve? 
I thought they were good questions. Um, yeah, I did. Um, I think that people, I mean, I saw, I've seen, like you, even a couple of Tory MPs, I think, I mean, even Tobias Elwood has sort yeah. of indicated, yeah. who, who, Tobias Elwood, who was saying, said the other day that the Red Arrows should fly through the air every time we clap the NHS on that, a That's Thursday. a great idea, I mean, yeah. What, yeah, <laughs> I mean, just what a waste of money. I've got an even better idea, so... Are we going to be able to see their little trails as well in the sky at 8 o'clock on, on, on a Thursday not, night? Not just the Red Arrows, right? Why stop there? I think we get the Red Arrows, we get the attack ship helicopters, we get all the fighter pilots. I want them all. I want the skies dark with bombers, right? Yeah. And then down Whitehall, I want tanks, yeah? And I want massive trailers with huge missiles on them. And I want us every morning. Yeah, never exactly. mind. That would be good. Never mind just Thursdays. Never mind just Thursdays. I think every morning we should go out onto the streets and enjoy two minutes of hate where we would just scream <laughs> and shout and say how much we hate coronavirus and love the government and how they've done everything right. And, you know, yeah. the two minutes of hate for Boris, I think. What do you reckon? I think that sounds like a good idea. Maybe the, in um, the end, you will have to learn to love Boris Johnson. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe the Red Arrows could fly over some hospitals and drop PPE <laughs> equipment, and or just drop over us all and just drop a load of you know testing kits, so we we actually know who's got this and and who's not. But I was going to say, even Tobias Elwood was sort of saying, well, there, there, there will be an inquiry eventually, wasn't he, the other day? And a, a few Tory MPs have said that. And I think people are expecting an inquiry. I mean, there was no there was no inquiry into Iraq begun until Tony Blair left office. It was Gordon Brown who, I think, on his first day yeah. said, yeah. all right, we're going to have an inquiry into Iraq. That was in, that was in 2009, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Um, yeah. And then that inquiry didn't conclude the, its it taking witnesses until 2011, and it didn't publish anything until 2016. I think so. That, the idea that you know, the idea that by the end of this, the next time you know, when is it December, um, December 2024, the next time that that Boris Johnson is is facing the the country, you know, a damning report is going to come out about the Conservatives have handled this. Which I would agree is is not well. Um, is uh, I think that is if people are hoping for that, that's extremely fanciful, and it's probably not going to be until the, the tail end of the government after this one. Well, if I was uh, advising, is, I think I think you make a good point there. But if I was advi- if I was advising Boris Johnson, I would say get this inquiry done, get it done, get it get it get out it of the box. Inquiry blocks. done, get it done. Is that your slogan? That's. <laughs> get I would say to him, done. It, listen. Get the inquiry done and stand up and say, "Yeah, we didn't get everything right." It will get far more. Um, it will get far more plaudits for that than trying to kick it into the long grass. Get it up and running well, by the end of the year, by next year. You know, it'll take months and months, obviously. And um, I mean, the only issue is that it'd probably be still ongoing at that point. But I, I think get it done and say we did lots of good stuff. Yeah, all right, circumstances played. I'm not saying that this is what I agree with, but this would be my messaging to them. Yes, circumstances played against us in certain elements, and we've learned from it, and we've put certain things in place to make sure that never happens again. That uh, The public could yeah. live with that. The public could live with that. I think that is, I think that is right. And, um, and I think, I mean, it may be a fanciful hope, but, 
But by now, you know, Boris Johnson is, we're recording this on Thursday, as I said, you're listening to it on Friday. Boris Johnson is taking the, the briefing on Thursday and, and by now he might have even said we haven't got everything right in this process, which people like Dominic Raab, Matt Hancock, Pretty Patel of, of, of Michael Gove have singularly failed to do and, and been particularly poor. And I think he's got a bit of credit in the bank, Boris Johnson, whatever you think of him. Yeah. Um, from from not I mean not from having a baby, but from from having uh, you know suffered with this and been in intensive care with this. Um, to say you know we haven't got everything right. Whether he, I, I, I very much doubt that he will uh, he will have ordered an inquiry, but but you know maybe I'll be proved wrong. Um, I was going to talk about Boris Johnson's children's book, which seems, um, Ooh, which yes, seems, uh, well, we sort of talked about that last week, didn't we? Because it was a question in the big quiz. But I, I think we should probably hold that over for another week, um, since um, since we're since we're, uh, we're we're sort of so deep into this by now. I mean, it seems like, um, and again, you know, you may have heard different by the time. You're listening to this, but it does seem like, you know, no huge easing of lockdown on May the eighth for for VA VE day, um, and no, uh, and, and maybe you know, maybe we're, we're going to be locked down um, until the end of May. What do you what do you think that will do to, to how the people, how the, the general public perceive the Conservatives have handled this? Well, I think. Um, I... There was a poll out, uh, I think it was um, at some point this week, um, fairly recently, saying that 70% of people believe that um, it's it, it, uh, keeping keeping the lockdown tight is more important than trying to, trying to reboot the economy at this stage, which is interesting, and I wonder how that question was put to them. But um, I don't think that Boris Johnson is going to lose the public just yet, and I think if he said... It throw a couple, you know, a little bone, garden centres, etc., etc. Um, perhaps these these pods, so you can you can sort of, you know, two families can can group together or whatever. There's an issue with that, I think, in the how you explain it to people because mm. it the messaging on that when it was when it when it first came out the weekend was not good. You know, up to ten people. There are people out there who are going to be thinking, oh, so I can go and see ten people. Who then go and see another ten people? Who go and see another? You know, they've got to make it very clear that it needs to be households. You know, two households. Yeah. Um, I really do worry about that messaging because if you get that wrong, it could be chaos and we could see another spike. Um, yeah. I also think they've got to be very clear that you visit them in your house. Don't go and see them in the park. So you've got a group of ten people running around a park or whatever, and potentially kids interacting with other kids. My view is that we've come this far, and you know, I. Will continue to get stick about um, my views on schools and whatnot, but I stand by, um, as do the medical scientists on that one. Um, but what? But there's no point now just going. Oh, we've had enough of it. You know, like me, like me giving up on devs halfway through. We've got to see it through <laughs> now. We've got to see it through now. And and also, I I really it really annoys me when politicians say, oh, in this country they're doing this, in this country, but well. You know what I mean? If Denmark and Sweden told us to jump off a bridge, would we? Sort of thing, you know. And I think, yeah, it, I think it's important. The Orison Bridge has featured in the bridge. <laughs> yes, I think it's important that um, that for all the reasons that have been stated about the NHS, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that we 
um, that that we uh, that, that we carry it on. I mean, it, it's it's hard. You know, families are not seeing each other. Um, you know, I know from personal experience how, how tough it is, but I really do think that another three weeks, another four weeks c- could could make the difference. And I'm willing to, you know, I'm I'm unhappy to to do that. And we've, heard, you know, we keep hearing nonsense from you. I heard this Tim Martin today saying he's going to open his pubs again on the first of June. Now I think that's yeah. probably a method of him lobbying the government rather than he's definitely going to do it. I think the government might have something to say about it, but. That seems like a ludicrous thing. How do you police that? So if two guys turn up to Weatherspoons together, how on earth do we know if they're... I know there's a lot of personal responsibility for these things, and I understand that, but can people sit with another person? So if I go into a pub and my pal's in there, I've not seen him for six weeks, can I go and sit with him? If I do, is the landlord going to go, I'm sorry, you're barred, you can't sit with him? There's too many variables here. There's too many variables. And social distancing might work to an extent, and having been in a supermarket, it's you know it's not faultless by any means, but it might work to an extent for those essentials, i.e. eating. But is it really essential? As much as I love the pub, and you know how much I love the pub, Steve, as do you, is it really yeah. essential that we go and sit in a Weatherspoons? No, I, I, mean, I would be absolutely amazed if the pubs were open in June, Weatherspoons or not. I mean... You know, when he said Weatherspoons are going to be opening, in, he said it's it's a message to shareholders, isn't it? And yeah. I think there's some other share issue going on with with Weatherspoons to try and bring. It's dangerous. Think Weatherspoons, they're it's... not in they're not in any sort of financial trouble, but I think they are trying to do a share issue to, to bring some money in, some liquidity in. Um, but um, it would be extremely dangerous. I mean, if Weatherspoons want to open selling flour, yeast, and pasta, then and toilet rolls. Then I think um, that you know they, they might have a they might have a chance of opening in June. Opening as a Weatherspoon selling beer. I mean, I just think that that is completely um, a fantastic fan, fantasy island idea. Um, and it's not fair. Only, why why should Weatherspoons be allowed to them? Because they've got more space rather than any other pub. It's already exactly already. I hear landlords all the time saying, you know, Weatherspoons. They moan about Weatherspoons. Um, having yes, an unfair advantage on the high street, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, yes, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm I'm a sort of soft free marketeer, and I say we'll change your offering and compete with them. You know, I know it's not nearly as simple as that. I understand that, but it would be massively unfair if you know the the Weatherspoons in the city centre gets to open, but the the nice pub that's been around for two hundred years, but perhaps hasn't got enough room, goes under. Because Weatherspoons has been over for six months longer, it's uh, that would be an absolute disgrace. Completely, I just can't see it happening. I mean, on the lockdown as a whole, I think before we before we move on to to other other related matters, um, I just think that whatever happens over the next few days, and and whatever happens on uh, uh, well, which we will be discussing next week um, on next week's podcast, whatever happens on on May the eighth. Um, people have. I think. I think it's it's time to to treat the general public with a little bit more respect. I think when when you see Michael Gove, uh, when you hear Michael Gove saying, as he said yesterday, well, if we told everybody to wear a mask, they might treat the the rest of the lockdown instructions in a cavalier fashion. I think just just credit people with a little bit more 
intelligence, please. Um, and I also thought that, you know, Boris Johnson's speech when he returned to work at, at Downing Street on Monday, I mean, it wasn't a, it wasn't a great speech. It didn't really have to be. He just needed to say, well, I'm back and I'm, I'm getting to work. Um, he said, he said, you know, I want you to curb your impatience to people. And I, to be honest with you, I don't see that the British public are being impatient. I think Nigel Farage is being impatient. Katie Hopkins is being impatient. Toby Young is being impatient. Uh, Tim Martin's being impatient. I think the vast majority of people are, are being extremely patient. And um, and uh, and so it would be good to get some sort of uh, idea of where we're going next rather than um, just leave it all to us, and we know you can't really be trusted. So well, that's um, the whole, we'll, that, we'll I mean, make all the decisions. That's the whole argument that Keir and, and we made last week about, uh, about yeah, an exit exactly. strategy, isn't it? And uh, you know, and yeah. I, I, I completely, I completely agree with you. I think you're absolutely right, and I agree. I, I think the British public have been absolutely fantastic. Um, yes, I have. I, I, I didn't, I, you know, I, I, but I do think that they need to know a time scale. You know, everything is calmer if we have got something to aim for, if, we're, if we feel like we're in the loop. I think that's the important thing, that we're, that we're in, uh, that, we're in yeah. that loop. And the government, you know, need to, need to trust the general public. But they need to get their messaging right as well, because a lot of the general public are not the brightest. But anyway, um, did you, you want to talk about football, didn't you? Well, I mean, we love the pub, and we also love football. And I don't think the pub should come back this weekend, and I and I, 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 I'm quite dismayed by these suggestions that football should come back as well. I'm really wary of governments and football altogether, um, especially conservative governments, where you know most conservatives, uh, most conservative sort of senior politicians have got very little interest in football. I think in the in the current cabinet, there's only Rishi Sunak and Michael Gove who were at all interested in... Who, or, or who, does, be, who does Rishi follow then? He, he supports Southampton because he's from Southampton. Ah, and Michael, Michael Gove, I, I, I know, has been seen at QPR a few times and he, he's one of those old jogging tops that you used to see him in with is like an old QPR shirt. So mm-hmm. um, so I know that Michael Gove, uh, I presume he lives around there as well, um, presumably turns up to, to, to QPR. But, you know... I'm very suspicious of this. Mrs. Thatcher did a lot of things involving football that were very stupid and and uh, or proposed a lot of things that were very stupid because she had no real interest in, in football, um, you know. And, and we've already had Matt Hancock saying footballers must take a, a pay cut without being willing to take a, a pay cut himself. The, the really cynical thing, um, and I've written about this in, in this week's print edition of The New European, which is on sale now at All Good News Agents, £3.00. Um, is this idea that that there was a push from the government into? I mean, the Premier League clearly want to come back. The Premier League. I'm talking about the Premier League now. As the people that run the Premier League, the Premier League want to come back because um, they want to collect their money from BT and Sky. Mm. Um, I don't really think that the safety of players uh, has been given much thought. There's a ridiculous list of uh, what players will have to go through, testing, wearing masks, training in very small groups, being sequestered during matches. Um, 
So, uh, but there's been some government intervention in this, and there's a Premier League meeting. It'll be going on if you're listening to this um, on Friday morning. It'll be going on right now. Uh, and there's an idea that they may say we will restart the Premier League on June the 8th. Players will return on May the 18th. Um, and, and for me, it just seems like, you know, it just seems like a really cynical bread and circuses thing to do. Oliver Dowden, who is culture, media and sport minister, of course, who's another one who's got, you know, no apparent in, interest in football. I've been looking at his website and, um, you know, various other things involving Oliver Dowden. There's, there's no sort of history of him being interested in football at all. He has been, he said, he, I've been personally in talks with the Premier League with a view to getting football up and running as soon as possible. You know, and this is the same guy who last week, it, it was up to his department to in, intervene or not in Saudi Arabia's takeover of Newcastle United. And, um, you know, I support Manchester City and now run by the Royal Family of you know, or a member of the royal family of Abu Dhabi, and there's all sorts of terrible things go on in Abu Dhabi, and and you know, on on some basis, you know, for for all of the the glory and the the great times that being involved with Abu Dhabi have have um, led to for Manchester City and Manchester City fans, you know, there are occasions when you you do go, would it have been better if the government had intervened at the start of this process and said, well, you can't buy Manchester City until you do this, this and this. Or the Premier League had said, you can't buy um, you can't buy Manchester City until you do this, this and this. And they didn't do that. And, and Oliver Dowden, who's had the chance to, you know, I mean, this is a, you know, the Saudis, are, are not only is there the, obviously the Khashoggi thing, there's the ongoing human rights thing, but, but the, BT and Sky, the people who really bankroll the Premier League, are up in arms about Saudi Arabia because basically in Saudi Arabia there is a government, um, the government, the regime are suspected of involvement in broad pirate in all of their broadcasts. There is a, a box there, it's called Butte Q uh, box, and, uh, and basically Sky broadcasts. Um, all, all legitimate broadcasts are, are, are pirated through this, and you can essentially watch uh, pay for football for free in Saudi Arabia. Oliver Dowden, you know, just waved this through. So I'm really, really suspicious of Oliver Dowden with no interest in sport, with no interest in getting involved in, in Saudi Arabia. Um, you know, press ganging, the, the, not, well, not press ganging, but lending the government support to the idea that the Premier League will come back. Um, just for that reason. I mean, and, and that's not even getting on to, to some of the, the reasons, you know, to do with safety and all of that. I mean, what what do you think? I'm I'm torn as a football fan. I, I, I feel that it would be odd if this season d- didn't go ahead. Um, but... I agree, you know, that if we have, if if you've ever seen, I was describing this to someone the other day, if you've ever seen a, a game played behind closed doors, which, which I have, I've only seen TV clips and I've actually been in the stadium when there's been one going on, um, but it's not a, a massively, um, you know, it happens every now and then if there's crowd trouble or whatever, and, and uh, it's odd, isn't it? It doesn't feel like football, it's sombre, the atmosphere is all wrong. Mm. And I just wonder if there'd be... Um, uh, there'd be this great clamour, and then people would 
be a bit like it's a bit empty and we're just going through the motions and it really does you know football football clubs are weird things because they have to make money um but they're part of a community they're a bit like a bit like regional newspapers in a sense aren't they yeah um people become very attached to them um and it I just feel like it would feel like they would go in through the motions because of because of the finances rather than anything else. And I do worry, you know, I mean, imagine if all the players, there was a sudden outbreak of coronavirus among the whole the Premier League players. You know, I mean, uh, it, it, it is a fear. But, I, but equally, for the protection of the seasons that come and the clubs that, you know, that lots of us love, how can we, how can we write off? And I'm not worried about Man City. I'm sorry, Steve, but I'm not. I'm not worried about Liverpool. No, I'm no, worried, no. I'm worried about Colchester United, about Huddersfield Town, about Ipswich, about you know these smaller clubs, um, right down to grassroots, who who really do have to wait for that football TV money to trickle down or whatever. Who, re- who really are hand to mouth. Um, and well, yeah, we, I would like to see. I mean, I would like to see football return, but without spectators you know those clubs rely much more than Premier League clubs on match day income don't they and they are not going to be able to you know with these social distancing measures are not going to be I mean are they are they going to be dropped by the end of August middle of August by the time the football season would restart normally I I would suggest not so certainly not what Chris Whitty's been suggesting is he he's talking until the end of the year for social distancing at least so I so I don't see I don't really see what is in it for them. I think that you know the government have, have, have seized on this, and the Premier League are happy to do it. Um, but the government have seized on this because they think it might be a, a distraction for people. I don't. I think they. You know. I think they sort of over. I think they overestimate how how many people are really interested in football. I'm really interested in football, but. You know, much of the day only gets four million viewers a week. You know, more people go to the theatre every week than go to to, to football uh, to football matches. Um, and I just think, I mean, rushing to play this season out now, I think the Premier League season is, is weird because people will be fascinated by the first round of games, and it'll be really weird, and they'll be all you know, new, weird new rules and, and stuff like that. And it will be, people will tune in for the atmosphere. Liverpool will then wrap up the title in week two or week three. And then you've got six weeks of, of sort of weirdness. And then you go into the FA Cup and, and, and potentially European games. So I just think that it is, it, it's just not worth it. And also, you know, these games are going to have to have ambulances at them mm. in in case of serious injury. There's going to have to be doctors in there, not yeah. just team doctors. So there's going to have to be medical staff doctors taken away. The, the, the stadiums are going to be empty, all right, but they're going to have to be police to stop people turning up and trying to get in. Yeah, people... Well, so people I, li- I live right next to a football stadium and there's no doubt yeah. that people will, will turn up outside. Yeah, of course they will. Um. So... So it just seems to me, you know, and that's without even getting into the idea of is this is this fair? Is it fair that, you know, I played you earlier in the season, we had three substitutes, I've got a big physical team, I was allowed to, to you know, hold onto your players at corners and set pieces. 
you've got smaller, more skillful players, you've got a much bigger squad with better players. Now you're going to be able to use five subs. My home advantage, because we played away at your ground, my home advantage with all of my fans, our, our team's fans getting uh, behind us is it, all gone when I play you because it, it's an empty stadium and, and maybe we'll have to even play it in another neutral stadium yeah, that, that yeah. they're talking about, aren't they? I just think it is just, it's the wrong thing to do. What the right thing to do is, I don't know. I'd be happy if they gave, you know, Liverpool the title. I think Liverpool have won the title. I'd, I'd equally be happy. I know Liverpool fans wouldn't if they voided the season. I'd also be happy if they said, do you know what? This isn't going to happen. You know, we, why don't we just start everything again um, in in February or March of, of next year? Well, yeah. we're really safe from all of this and yeah. we'll just start again exactly where we are and we're just going to have to suck it up. Maybe we can play some little tournaments. Maybe we can play out the FA Cup or whatever. So I, I don't know. I just think it is far too soon and it, I mean, that's, and it is really that, cynical from the government, I think. That starting again in a year's time, is, it, it seems to make the most sense out of anything, but then the clubs are saying, we need the money, you know, and are the, are the, yeah, are the play, how are we going to pay the players for the next... Nine months, you know. I mean that, which which is something I can, you know. And there's no way the government is bailing out football clubs. That's when bricks will start flying, you know. Yeah, that um, is when bricks will start flying. Anyway, yeah. I'd just like to bring your attention quickly before we do uh, Brexit of the week to uh, to uh, this pod review, which says these two do more rambling than Ian Botham. Um, and I think we've rambled on for enough, <laughs> for, for long enough for this part of the show. Um, so why don't we come back after this with a Brexit of the Week? And is there a quiz? We can do a little quiz too. A little quiz and, of course, the premiere of, uh, of, of my wonderful music, uh, which I've been working on during lockdown. Brexiteer of the Week. Welcome back, Steve. What should we do first? Because we've got a few, there's quite a lot going on in this Brexit Year of the Week segment, isn't there? What, 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 what should well, we do first? Well, let's do a little quiz because then yeah. it's a music related quiz and then that will segue oh, into right, your, beautiful, uh, your, your beautiful bit of music for us. It's worth saying it. also that if you, have, if you have come to this podcast for news of the talks between the EU and the UK, um, there haven't, it hasn't really gone anywhere. You've missed nothing. Um, basically, MEPs are telling Michelle Barnier to start planning for no deal. The government are still, Dominic Raab is still, and Pretty Patel are still posturing that we are going to um, be out by the end of this year and, and nothing has really gone on. So hopefully we can bring you something more exciting than that this week. So I've got a very simple quiz for you. Right, good. Richard, you're yep. playing, but you, you the listener... <coughs> play at home too and we'll do the answers to it after Brexit here in the week oh alright so got a little time to all think right. of it good okay okay good. so it is a musical musically themed who is older quiz right. and I've got five questions for you who is older Ooh. who is older John Major or Keith Richards Ooh. who is older John Major or Keith Richards question two who is older is it Boris Johnson or Bez oh, from the Happy Monday. Melon, man. Question three: Who is older? Is it Pretty Patel or is it Liam Gallagher? Oh. Question four: Well, I mean, this is who is who would have been older, <laughs> Michael Gove, yeah, or Kurt Cobain? Right, right. And question five: On a similar nature, 
who would have been older, Theresa May or Sid Vicious? Ooh. So May, John Major versus Keith Richards, Boris Johnson versus Bez, Pretty Patel versus Liam Gallagher, The Gover against Cobain, yeah. and Theresa May against Sid Vicious. Okay. All right. Now, now, have a little think about that, and now you've got something extraordinary, oh. haven't you? Oh, is it my turn? Right. It, it is your turn. Here we go. Here we go. So, as mentioned on this podcast previously, I've been working on my music um, a little bit during lockdown, and you might be able to hear the the wonderful synth in the background there uh, uh, just kicking in. Um, so, this, this, it's 17 minutes long, Steve. Is that all right, or should I cut it yeah, down? Yeah, that's fine, yeah. Yeah, 17 minutes. It's called... It's called Lockdown Dystopia Part 1. Are you ready? I'm ready. I thought I probably shouldn't do the full 17 minutes. So that's the opening opening bars. Initial thoughts? Highly promising. It's 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 very atonal. It could have come from uh, the second annual report album by Throbbing Gristle. Well, I I'm thought you would like it. Thumbs up. I thought big you would like it being, being a Throbbing Gristle fan. I mean, clearly you can see the thread of my influence. Absolutely. Uh, coming coming back from from Throbbing Gristle. So I've got to say what what equipment did was used in in the creation of this? Well, it's a very uh, high end uh, synthesizer. Um, yeah. And What's it called? The it, it's called a stylophone. A stylophone. Yeah. And is this is it inspired by the fact that you do look a, a little bit like Rolf Harris? <laughs> do I? <laughs> Well, no. you've, got, you've, got, you've got glasses and a beard. <laughs> That's true. Glasses, a beard and a moustache. I mean, what if you... Well, it's a, fair, it's a fair point. Um, uh, no, it, it's not. It, it's actually... Um, it's called the Stylophone Gen X1. It is... Is it a, an app or is it an No, 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 it's here. Thing? It's right here in my hand. It's an actual thing. And it's... Um, it, unlike the original Stylophone, it's got loads of... It's got... An envelope, you know, it's got pitch and decay, and you could, you would have heard there on the 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 feedback and the delay. So I was playing with the D time there to bring you that incredible um, echoey sort of atmospheric feel. Um, yeah, I've also I been. I think play- everyone will have heard the decay. Yes, certainly. and and I mean the you would you would know that on the filter there, the cutoff and the and the resolution were quite low as that song builds. I just add a little bit more cuff, a little bit more res, and it really builds into a crescendo. I like to think of it as a kind of cross between um, Sigur Ross, Throbbing Gristle, and Kraftwerk. Yes, I think I think any of them would be proud. Yes, I, to I, have think, that, I agree. Uh, to have that I'm, in their oeuvre, I'm pleased with it. And and you've actually come up with a name, haven't you, for the for the for the band? Well, we were we were saying, weren't we? Because you like the Denver Broncos. We talked about the NFL earlier on, and I, and you also like Snoods. I'm a big Snoods fan. We've got one on now. And Snoods, and the Snoods are not called Snoods in America. And I sent you a picture of it right. of a Denver Broncos Snood, but it's not called a Snood, and it's called big a big logo Gator scarf. That's right. So what you've heard there, ladies and gentlemen, is big logo Gator scarfs. 
um, debut single, which is called Lockdown Dystopia Part 1. And uh, it will be available on Spotify, etc. If you want to do your own little recording and tweet it out and you know really get the buzz around around the band, um, I think I, I think it's the soundtrack of lockdown. It's beautiful. Why don't we name some Brexiteers of the week? Let's name some Brexiteers of the week, and then I will round up by giving you the the answers to, to this the shock quiz. Uh, let's talk about the fruitcakes first of all. Now, I don't know if you saw this, but efforts to recruit British fruit and veg pickers yeah. uh, were dealt a blow this week. Um, fifty thousand applications, people, fifty thousand British people applied uh, to, uh, to to fill in for all of these sort of. EU migrants who normally come over here and pick crops. Do you know how many people actually took up the job? Our crops. Go on. Out of the 50,000, how many British people, when it was said to them, you're going to have to travel miles from home, probably live in a caravan with loads of other people with masks on, then you're going to be eight hours in in the field picking crops. Um, How many people out of 50,000 do you think actually took up the role? I mean, to be fair, it does sound a bit like year zero, doesn't it? Um, uh, I mean, uh, I don't know, uh, 5,000? Yeah, 112. So 112, so close to 5,000. George Eustace, who has been, (laughs) he's been everywhere this week, hasn't Mm. he? He said um, the, the shortage should be eased by people on furlough. But uh, the more right wing you got, the, the crazier it got. Right. Um, uh, Tory boy Andrew Pearce, the, the, the commentator and, and uh, Mail on Sunday columnist, I think he is, said, Un- "Shouldn't young unemployed people be required to take the jobs?" Well, no. Um, and Godfrey Bloom, former UKIP MEP and former flatmate of Nigel Farage, said uh, the role should be filled with stu- by students with nothing to do because obviously that will be um, just another another uh, benefit for them on top of the £9,000 uh, a year uh, fees that we're, we're putting on them and the, the, um, the fact that they have to um, take out loans to pay for their own upkeep as well. Um, he said that students with nothing to do should be forced to, um, forced to, to, to do fruit picking. And somebody uh, then said to him, well, what about the 17.4 million of you um, who voted for all of this nonsense in the first place? And Godfrey Bloom said, he said, that we, we can't do that because Leave voters are all self-employed and small business people who are already working. Right. So there you go. So all 17.4 million uh, Leave voters are uh, self-employed or small business people who are already working. Um, Georgia Toffolo is making a, a shock appearance in oh. uh, Wait a minute. Is she, of the week. Who, is she from... Toff. Is, is this She's from reality? Ah, oh, I see, OK. She's from Made in Chelsea. She was on I'm a Celebrity with um, Boris Johnson's dad. Right. Um, and she, um, I believe, in the run-up to the referendum, she said she was going to vote Remain, and now she's getting married to... Uh, George Cottrell, who used to be Nigel Farage's right hand man, he's known as Post George, and um, it's probably for the best that they can't fly off on honeymoon right now because they don't have a lot of luck in airports. Georgia Toffolo, last December, you might remember, she posted a, a series of tearful videos um, because she was she turned up to an airport in the Maldives with a damaged passport and they wouldn't let her on a flight, and she was sort of detained for for nine hours and just posting these videos of her crying. And in 2016, a similar thing, 
Posh George Cottrell turned up to an airport with Nigel Farage. They got off a plane in Chicago and he was immediately seized by police. And um, and then he ended up serving eight months in jail for wire fraud. Um, he was going to face in 20 years in jail, but he helped the FBI with their inquiries. So, so similar and um, good luck in the airport. Uh, Robert Halfon, um, who is the Tory MP for Harrow, um, is also a Brexiteer of the week. He was um, ribbed, ridiculed, roasted for brown nosing. I don't know if you saw this, but he, when the Prime Minister returned to work on Monday, lots of people said, um, well, it's good to see you back, boss, and all of this on Twitter. Robert Halfen went one better. He tweeted, good to see Boris Johnson back at the helm. And he, he put on his tweet a video of a magnificent-looking male lion standing on top of a hillside. And I think, you know, with, with all that we know about Boris Johnson, one thing that he <laughs> does not resemble is a magnificent-looking adult male lion. I once People learned... did say... Go on. Sorry, go on. I once lent Robert a box of matches and he um, he lit his cigar and promptly dropped every single match on the floor. Oh, bless. <laughs> um, I mean... You know, to be fair to Boris Johnson, lions do spend quite a lot of time lazing around and um, fathering baby lions. Um, but um, the other thing about Robert Halfen's video, which, I mean, not only was it cringeworthy, but it turned out, the lion turned out to be, the lion turned out to be Mufasa from the, the, the remake of The Lion King, the weird CGI oh, uh, live-action remake. Me and the kids liked that. And uh, they liked it, did they? Yeah, I mean, they know the... You know, they've seen the original film a million times, as have I. I'm no great fan of kids' films, but I, I thought it was pretty cool. I liked it. Stop being mean Well, there to you it. go. But, I mean, I think the fatal flaw with posting a, a picture of Mufasa, surely, is that he ends up being killed <laughs> by his brother. He does. <laughs> so, so I mean, you know, I wouldn't invite Joe Johnson round to yeah. Downing Street any time soon. You're suggesting now, that Joe Johnson he, is Scar. Yes, he is. He's Scar, yeah. Voiced by Rowan Atkinson. Um, the Brexiteer of the Week in the print edition of the New European is Anne Widdicombe. Right. Uh, and Anne Widdicombe. Alack. I'm obsessed with Anne Widdicombe's uh, column in the Daily Express. Uh, and this week, I mean, phrases that you never thought you would read from Anne Widdicombe. Uh, she had a long piece about how the media is understating coverage of coronavirus in one particular part of the world. And she wrote, I want to know what this hideous disease is doing to Africa. But if I do, I have to hunt the internet. Black lives matter, do they not? That's right. Anne Widdicombe wrote the phrase, black lives matter, do they not? Now, yeah. of course, she wrote it in the Daily Express, which is known for its brilliant coverage of events in Wagadougou and uh, Brazzaville. <laughs> yes, uh, the in Bureau the out there are always very busy, aren't they? Uh, that's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, you know, uh, their coverage of, of uh, Ugandan affairs, obviously, is uh, is uh, something to behold. Um, it did make me think back to uh, the, the phrase Black Lives Matter, do they not? didn't make me think back to last December when Anne Widdicombe was... Um, do you remember there was a row about her using the word gollywog? Um, and she, she uh, people said, well, why have you used this word gollywog? And she said, well, you know, I was talking about a toy that I had um, when I was a young girl. And they said, well, don't you think black people will be offended by the word gollywog? And she said, no, they shouldn't be offended by it. 
but you know, black view, well, black lives matter, but black views do not matter. Clearly, well, the Brexiteer of the week is Nigel Farage, of course, who made a hundred mile drive to to Hastings uh, to make a video about um, asylum seekers. Some asylum seekers have been seen arriving on the beaches of. Hastings, he, he drove 100 miles. I don't know whether he drove on his own. Somebody was clearly uh, filming him. So it was I don't awful know as well. Whoever did, the filming, whoever did the filming yeah, wasn't very good was, at it. It was terrible, you know. And, and there he is, driving 100 miles to make a video about these desperate people who are being exploited by awful people. They're making really risky journeys over here. When they get here, you know, what, do you, what, what does Nigel Farage imagine they're going to do in lockdown Britain? You know, are they are they going to get jobs easily in the local pubs and everything? Of course they're not. They're going to be rounded up and they're going to be, you know, taken somewhere. They're going to be met with hostility, poverty. Ultimately, you know, a lot of them are going to fail in their applications for asylum and they're going to be sent back to where they came from. Nigel Farage also said, by the way, he said, I wrote a piece about this in The Telegraph. I've been talking about it on LBC. The media is not interested. Well, you've got a piece about it in the, the Telegraph, and it's in the LBC, and the media is interested. Um, his excuse for saying this, um, for doing this, by the way, is that he is an essential worker. Right. Journalists who are writing about the coronavirus, and um, so I think it's to, to, to put a distinction between, you know, magazine journalists and some other journalists and. Uh, other journalists. So journalists who are involved in this are classed as essential workers. And Nigel Farage said, I am an essential worker. And you are, Nigel Farage is about as essential as Waitrose essentials, um, which of course include Waitrose essential artichoke hearts, Waitrose essential Ardennes pate, Waitrose essential cappuccino mousse, Waitrose <laughs> essential Cambozola cheese, and Waitrose essential profita rolls. Those are all essentials in the aisles of Waitrose and Nigel Farage is even less essential than those so Nigel Farage is the Brexiteer of the week Congratulations Nigel, give us those quiz answers Now the quiz answers Who is older, the John Major podcast, or Keith Richards? By the time this podcast finished, lockdown will be over <laughs> It will be, yeah um, I think Keith Richards is older you, John Major is older Is he? He is, he is, uh, he is uh, he's a, a, a few months older um, and uh, the, I think he's about 10 months older than Keith Richards, John Major, and he's three months older than Paul McCartney. He's 77, and they are 76. Uh, Boris Johnson or Bez, who is older? Oh, I've got a Bez story as well, but I'll tell it another time. Um, Bez. Bez is older. He's yes. two months older than Boris Johnson. Uh, Re uh, Remy from the Stone Roses uh, is also uh, two months older than Boris Johnson. Pretty Patel or Liam Gallagher? I think that that is going to be close because Liam's not actually that old. Is he? he was very, very young. Um, he was in his very early 20s when Oasis arrived. Noel is older. I reckon Liam's about 44, 45 so I would say, I think Liam's older, just. Well, he's he's older than you think. He's 47, ah. but Pretty Patel is six months older. She's ah. 48. Ah. Uh, Michael Gove or Kurt Cobain? Um, so 27 in 94 would make 
Cook have been uh, in his 50s now, is that right? Jesus Christ. Uh, Gov. Gov. No, Kurt Cobain is six months, uh, it was eight months older. Uh, Theresa May or Sid Vicious is the last one. So I reckon Theresa May came in, I think she won in 87, did she? Or was it 92? Um, I reckon Sid Vicious is older than Theresa May. Oh, you've not done very well this week. Uh, Theresa May is 10 months older than Sid Vicious. uh, But what you were thinking of, clearly, is that she's younger than Johnny Rotten. John oh, Lydon. Clearly, yeah. She's also, she's also younger than Ian Curtis would have been if he, if oh he was alive. Ian God. Curtis from Joy Division. Wow. Ian Curtis, if he was alive, would be older than Theresa May. Wow. So John Major is, uh, is, is older than Keith Richards. Bez is older than Boris Johnson. But none of these are by much. Pretty Patel slightly older than Liam Gallagher. Kurt Cobain slightly older than, um, than uh, Michael Gove and Theresa May slightly older than Sid Vicious, but younger than Ian Curtis and younger than, than John Lydon. Amazing. Now, we did last week say leave us, leave us great reviews and we might read some out. So I thought I'd just get to a couple. Um, this oh, one, great. we mentioned this earlier. My Friday Night Drinks um, says, these two do more rambling than Ian Botham. Funny, we've already lost that. However, it's a great listen. It's just a shame we couldn't stop Brexit. Alack! Huh? Alack! Yeah. P.S. If you read out this review, can Richard please sing the Yellowhammer song again? I haven't done the Yellowhammer song for ages, have I? Now, remind people what the Yellowhammer song was. So, Yellowhammer was the very um, cleverly named by some wag on Whitehall report into what life might be like after Brexit, wasn't it? Um, and yeah. the Yellowhammer is a bird of which Edith yeah. Blyton said its song sounded like someone saying a little bit of bread and no cheese... Um, which I'm sure someone knew, and that's why they called it the Yellow Hammer, because that's, that's right. basically what we mean. So it became for a, a short-lived but much-loved uh, catchphrase of mine, and it went a bit like this. Little bit of bread and no cheese! <laughs> <laughs> and I honestly thought no one liked that, but clearly my Friday Night Drinks did. Um, this is nice. It. From uh, Laura J. Redding. Um, I haven't been... I've Sorry, I've been a long time listening to this podcast. I've always enjoyed it with a glass of something whilst getting ready for dinner on a Friday night. In these days of social distancing, I'm finding the rambling tangents very comforting. (laughs) There's one thread, isn't there? (laughs) It's like I'm having drinks at the pub, listening to mates going on. Going off on one. Keep up the good work, gents. I can't believe it's less than a year since Glory Ferrari. Do you remember that? Glory Ferrari. That was another one of yours, wasn't it? It, it actually seems that this is by some, from someone called Nick R rather than Laura J. Redding. So I, I, I don't know if they're a couple and someone's using someone else's podcast. I'm not sure I might get you in trouble there, Nick R. Um, or maybe it's just <laughs> maybe Laura J. Redding is just your weekend name or something. I don't know. All power to you. <laughs> So that's very kind. I also had someone on Twitter this week who said, I love this podcast so much, I'm going to start listening to it from episode one. Amazing. Wow. I think we're on about well, 180. Spoilers, we, we don't win the Brexit thing. So. <laughs> and also, like I said on Twitter, I'd give episode one a bit of a miss if I were you. <laughs> Jump to about three months in and uh, yeah. it, it, it gets a bit more fun. Um, so, Steve, I, I think we're about there, aren't we? I think we're done. Thank you for listening to our ramblings. What should we the listener do? You virtually. We do every single week. What should the listener do right now? Please go to the neweuropean.co.uk and subscribe to the New European. 
And uh, if you can get out, you can buy the new European in shops. It's still out there. It's three pounds. It's great. Really good. But if you go to uh, the website, as I said, you can get 13 issues for 13 pounds if you're a new subscriber. Uh, you can join the new European uh, Facebook uh, readers group, um, which is great. You can like the new European on Facebook. Go to your podcatcher of choice, wherever you're listening to this. Leave us a review. We'll read it out. It'll be great. It'll be great fun. And leave us uh, lots of stars, please, as well. Uh, and um, you can follow me. You can follow The New European on Twitter, rather, uh, at The New European. You can follow me on Twitter, at Sanglesey, S-A-N-G-L-E-S-E-Y. Or you can follow me, at Porrit, P-O-R-R-I-T-T. And I'm just going to quickly, Steve, play everyone out with a little bit more from um, from Lockdown Dystopia. From true crime to football, Brexit to folklore. For more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archant. That was the New European Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, use your visit out of the house today to grab a copy of the printed product. It's £3, and as always, it's packed full of politics, packed full of news, but there's also lots of arts and culture in there as well. We will be back next week, again from our bunkers, no doubt. Until then, Mr Campbell, play your bagpipes. Here you go. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.